When you woke up this morning, did you think, I'm gonna go to church and hear a show tune? How many of you saw uh, The Greatest Showman? Yeah, a lot of you saw it. Um, my name is Blair, I'm one of the pastors here. I went and saw it, it's a musical for some of you. You'll be like, ugh, I'm out, can't, can't do that sort of thing. Um, it's a kind of show that you wanna see in the theater, it's kind of a big production, that sort of thing. I'm gonna tell you just a little bit about it. I'm not gonna spoil the movie for you or anything like that. Uh, but it was, a, it was a movie about a guy who wants to make a name for himself. And so what he does is he goes around and he finds people with interesting gifts or unique talents and he brings them together and he puts them on display and the song that you just heard them sing was the kind of marketing pitch they used for the show. We think this is the greatest show. You should come and watch this. And his goal was to amaze and put people in awe. Um, I, I enjoyed the movie. I don't know what you thought about it. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, that show seemed to have the effect that he wanted. It did amaze and put people into awe for a long period of time. Uh, until recently, 2017, the Barnum and Bailey Circus actually closed. It came to an end, which got me thinking. Um, your show was amazing, was pretty incredible, but is that the right title for you to have for it, that it's the greatest show when it came to an end? Well, I suppose it depends on what your definition of show is. What you think. And I would suggest to you that the greatest show that was ever had for mankind happened on Easter. The greatest show of love, the greatest display of love happened then. The greatest amount of self-sacrifice that you could ever imagine happened then. The greatest gift of mercy, grace, justice, righteousness, all at the same time packed together, all happened right then. It was that moment. Some people, I think, have looked at Easter and thought, well, yeah, it was great. It was great. But wasn't it a war between two equals to see who would have the destiny of mankind's souls? And I would say no. Easter showed quite the opposite. It showed there weren't two equals battling it out. It showed that there was one with power, one who cared about mankind, one who had everything in mind when he went through it for you and I. And because he did that, he put on the greatest show that you could ever imagine. I imagine um, there's reasons that people think maybe it was a tight war between two equals. It didn't look good for a little while. Jesus handed over to the Romans, beaten, mocked, hung on a cross, dies there, is put in a grave. And you can imagine the enemies of God standing before the world and saying, the show is over! He's dead! There's nothing to see here. Except the truth is, the show, this greatest display of love that you would ever see or imagine was just getting started. That This was a plan that had been put in, but he had talked to his disciples about how this would go. He actually said, I'm gonna get taken by the Romans. I'm gonna be flogged. I'm gonna be mocked. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be put in the grave. But every time he told the story, every time, it never ended with his death. Never in fact, we're gonna, we're gonna scroll through some scriptures here. These are scriptures where Jesus talked 
about what was going to happen to him with his disciples. And there's a bunch of them. And every time it ends with, and I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. That is the story of Easter. The story of, you know what? I'm going to go face death, and I'm going to defeat it. And by defeating it, I'm going to offer you life. And it is the greatest display that you will ever see of love and grace and kindness. And if there was ever a a moment where that kind of song was worthwhile, it's for that kind of event. Odd. Although it has that kind of storyline, Easter in our culture has been fading in importance for a while now. It's, It's... it gets a little bit of, I mean, people are glad to have Friday off, you know, good Friday off, that's nice. And we'll get together and have a nice meal with family and all that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I don't think we've understood how deep, how important, how valuable this day is. In fact, I would say it to you this way. Easter makes every other day you live valuable. And without it, those other days are worthless, And you might think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. And this morning, I want to take you to a section of Scripture where Paul talks about how important the resurrection is. If you have your Bibles or a cell phone app, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole section of Scripture, uh, Paul's about to enter into a debate uh, with a group of people in Corinth. They They had some thoughts on how the resurrection went, whether it happened or not. And he's going to spend the whole chapter talking about this, and we're just going to scratch the surface. So if you have a chance to do that, our goal this morning, though, is to try to bring this idea of Easter alive in your lives. Not just the way you might celebrate it today. I think it's, it's worth a celebration. But I, I'm hoping that if we do this right, you'll understand that Easter touches every day that you live in a significant way, and that and that this moment right here will be something that shapes the way you live moving forward. Now, Paul's about to enter into this discussion about the resurrection with this little church, and he's going to start by reminding them what he's been teaching them. And that's, that happens in verse 3 of chapter 15. He says, for what I received, listen, I'm just giving you what I was given. God, God gave me this I'm passing it on to you. He goes, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. I'm giving you my priority stuff right now. All the things that I've ever taught you. And it's been a lot. If you you miss all of those and you get these high priority ideas, you're going to be pretty good. And so he starts. Here's my first priority idea. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Easter starts with the understanding that Jesus came and died for the stuff that we've done wrong. That, that used to mean a lot in our culture. What's happening more and more is people have decided that really I haven't done anything that bad. I've not done anything wrong. Not that somebody would need to die for me. I think that's kind of an extreme thing. And you're like, really? You've, ne- you've never done anything wrong, ever? You've, you've never told a little white lie to protect yourself. You, you never acted out of anger or jealousy. 
You never delivered a word into somebody else's life that you then felt guilty for and wanted to take it back. You never made a choice with, with even a friend where you knew it was gonna benefit you and put you ahead, and you did it anyway, even though you knew you were kind of taking advantage of the situation. You've never been controlled. You've never had a moment of greed. You've never had a moment where you felt lust for something and acted on that and then told yourself, everybody does. We see this and we're like, listen, I'm in the clear. I haven't done anything really big. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't killed anybody. I don't have any assault and batteries on my record. You know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good right now. But when you see that Christ died for sins, he did die for the big ones. But he also died for all the little ones too. Because the outcome of sin, when you choose to do something wrong, the outcome is that it brings about death. Somebody's gotta die. And it's your wrong, your wrongdoing. And if you're holding the bag, you're the one who dies. Doesn't matter how big or small it is. And so when the scriptures say, Christ died, he was doing that on your behalf, for your junk, big or small, doesn't matter. But out of love, he saw that you've done some wrong. And so he came to your aid. I'm, I'm gonna take that penalty of death for you. But Paul goes on, the story doesn't end there. So again, he's talking about primary, or first importance, high priority stuff here. In the next verse he says, that he was buried. Yeah, he, he got put in a tomb, and then he says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here's the storyline. Jesus came and lived. He died for us, he was buried, and he came back to life. All of those things. This, this is the story that Jesus was telling his disciples. This is what he was aware the plan was the whole long, the whole time, and he said, listen, all along, this is how this is gonna play out. I'm gonna live, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be buried, I'm gonna be raised again. And this little church in Corinth understood this teaching, but was having a hard time with it. And they were kinda doing what our culture does with Jesus. Our, our, I don't know how many times I've heard this um, from people in our culture. They've said stuff like this. I like Jesus. I think he's a good man. I think he's a great teacher. I think he's a wise person. I, in fact, I wish his followers would do what he says because the world would probably be a better place. It's often how that's said. But, I, but I, I can't go as far as to accept this idea that he came back to life. It's just fanciful thinking. When you die, you're dead. And that's exactly what this church in Corinth was saying. They were saying, listen, this is our view of how this works. We live our lives, we die. There's nothing else that happens in our lives. And yeah, we wanna, we wanna live well, but we're just gonna die. And Paul has problems with this. Paul's a problem with this. He's gonna say to him, listen, you're not thinking about this really wisely. In verse 12, he says this. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Look, guys, saying the church in Corinth, if you believe nobody comes back to life, then you don't understand what Jesus did for you. 
Jesus came and died and rose again so that everybody could face that same outcome. You could actually have a new life if you wanted it. You would be resurrected. And if you believe that that's not possible for you, what you're saying is that Christ really never came through. He, he didn't actually beat death himself, which means it doesn't matter if he's a good teacher. It doesn't matter if he's a good guy. It doesn't matter about any of the stuff that he said. If he's still in the ground, this is all meaningless. You know, he actually goes on to say it as directly as he can, that that's what he's thinking. In verse 14, he says this. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Useless. Verse 15, he says, we are found to be false witnesses about God. We're liars. Everything we've told you about God is a waste. We're just liars. Verse 17, he goes on and says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You like coming to church? Hearing somebody teach? Useless. Like standing, worshiping God? Useless. If Christ hasn't raised, it's useless. Do you like having a sense of it's a waste of time? Do you like believing that there's a moral code that matters, that the way you choose to live matters? It's futile. It's, it's a waste. In verse 30, Paul would go on to say, listen, do you think I'm out here risking my life every hour for no reason? I wouldn't be doing this unless the stakes were bigger. But he just steps back and goes, listen, all these practices, all this spiritual stuff that we do, you, you, your personal devotions, you think they matter? Christ is not raised, it doesn't. Pray, pray to God all you want. If Christ hasn't been raised, it's a waste of your time. Blair, I'm a spiritual person. I'm just, I'm just a, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are because Paul pointed out the problem here. Why is it all futile? Did you see what he said at the end of verse 17? He says at the end of verse 17, that you are still in your sins. He says, this is the problem. See, if you can do all the spiritual practices that you want. You can do all of this stuff. You can be spiritual all that you want. But at the end of the day, if Jesus died and stayed in the grave, then death is still in control. And the outcome for your wrongdoing, my wrongdoing, for anybody's wrongdoing, is that it ends with us dying. It, the end of the story is that you go in the grave and that's it. There's nothing else. There's nothing of meaning, there's nothing of value. It's all over. Death wins. This idea of death is supposed to be sobering for us. I, 
I can think of two times in my life where I, where I, I think I had two close calls. One of, them, one of them didn't really change me at all. The, the other one did mess with me. Uh, when I was young, I grew up on a farm, and uh, we, had, we had a tractor that was, its starter went out, and we didn't have time to tear it down and put it back together, so we would just park it on a hill. And you would roll it down the hill, jump the clutch, and start it. And, I mean, it was fine. We did it all the time. No big deal. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I did this. I, I suppose maybe I was young enough to know better, but young enough not to think it through. I, I don't know. But I pulled the tractor up one time, up the hill this way, instead of facing down the hill. And there were two brakes on the tractor. One stopped the PTO shaft, which makes the baler and everything else kind of run. It gives its power. And then the other brake stops the tractor. And I pulled up the hill the wrong way, and I turned off the key, and the tractor started going backwards down the hill. Don't worry, I slammed down the wrong brake, right? And because I was young and I had my, until I realized I'm headed towards a barn. And I tried to start steering. You know how it's hard to start steering backwards and the faster you go, the more like does this sort of thing? I'm trying to avoid a barn and I'm trying to kind of get on a road. I'm thinking maybe if I can go on this road, I'll grow across into a field, it'll slow down eventually, maybe, I don't know. Didn't, it didn't work. I kind of went sideways. I didn't want to go sideways fast. I knew the tractor could flip over if I did that. Kind of went sideways and smashed into some trees. Five feet over, I would have smashed into a whole roll of horses that were tied up on a railing. It would have been ugly. That the tractor hit the trees, bounced forward, and at that point, my dad, who kind of was watching this all in slow motion and running towards the tractor, finally made it to there and stepped on the right brake. Now, I knew how serious it was, because normally, at that point, I would be yelled at, right? But he wasn't yelling. He looked white. And so was the other guy who was there. And I was shook up. I was a little freaked out. But it really didn't stick with me. It didn't, it didn't stick with me, um, although I know it was a close call. Um, the other time happened uh, December uh, I went in for a routine uh, colonoscopy, which is bizarre for me to say to you, because I think a lot of you are like me. I tend to wait until things are ugly before I go and see a doctor. I remember in my 20s, I had something going on with my eye, and I waited because I was like, I can heal myself, right? And I waited, and I waited, and I waited until I couldn't keep my eye open. I couldn't sleep at night. I was in so much pain. I went in, and and he treated it, just needed a few drops. And he goes, you do realize that you could, lo you could lose your eye over this. And I was like, yeah, but it wasn't that close. And he's like, yeah, it was. I'm like, oh, so noted, okay. Didn't change the way I did things. Didn't like, didn't see Dennis for years. I walked on a broken ankle for two weeks to make sure it was broken and not sprained before I would spend the money on an x-ray. Like, yeah, the pain's not going away. It could be broken. But, but I went in for this routine exam because my family had history with uh, colon cancer. And I only found out later, <laughs> I found out later that because your family has history, I should have gone in five years earlier, which was like, oh, so I did it right, okay? I waited until the last possible second, and I went in. 
and they found stuff. And, um, and they said, listen, we have to send all this off for testing. We got to see what's going on here. And as Tracy and I were talking about that appointment, she was able to come in with me for that. And she goes, you know, everybody was talking, everybody was singing, everybody was joking around until they started finding these things. And she goes, the place got dead quiet. She goes, I think this is pretty serious. I went up um, on my own. I didn't tell her I did this, but I, I went and looked up the survival rates of that kind of cancer, and it was not good. And I, I you know, just talked to Trace. I said, listen, let's not worry about this. It's not a big deal. We'll deal with it when it happens. Um, but to us, they said, look, there was a bunch of stuff in there that looked bad. It wasn't. There was one that looked like it was nothing, and it was the problem. And uh, just so you know, Blair, if you would have waited one, even two years past this, you would have been dealing with a pretty extensive case of colon cancer because it was ready to turn. It was, it was the one step right before cancer. And, um, and that shook me up. I'm not afraid of death. There's just, there's just a lot ahead that I want to see, that I want to do, that I want to be involved with kids and grandkids and all of that sort of stuff. And I, I've made jokes. I mean, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know I hate exercise, right? I think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. I'm exercising right now. I, I'm exercising. I'm, I'm, I've lost 10 pounds. I'm like, I'm, uh, it messed with something in me because uh, death is supposed to be a sobering thing. I, I don't know why, but sometimes when I hear uh, people in church settings talking about death, they almost act like it's a welcome relief to their life. I, I saw, we did this one series, um, Keep Calm and Carry On. I found this poster, and I was like, oh my word, that's sometimes how Christians feel about death. Now I get it, I get it sometimes. Like when somebody's been wrestling with something for a long period of time, and finally they get to be at peace, I get that, I understand that. But death is our enemy. It was such a problem that God decided to send his son to do something about it. It's, it's not something that he wants us to be cozy and comfy with. Doesn't want us to be afraid of it. But, but our goal is not to find a way to embrace it. In fact, um, at a different time in Jesus' ministry, this might not have been like a high priority, not in the top ones that Paul just covered here, but Jesus said at a different time, I've come to give you life to the full. I want you to really live. I want you to step into every day and find meaning and purpose and value in the stuff that you do. Yesterday, in the morning, I went to a funeral. In the evening, I went to a wedding. Two really different kind of ceremonies. Both of them have value if, if our lives can be lived to the full. If in fact, death is still in control, if death is still in charge, then none of it matters. But what God had in mind for your life and my life was that we would really live, that we would be freed to live. 
we wouldn't live in the shadow of death, but that we would, we would understand that, you know what? I've come for you. I, I died for your sin. I buried it. But I finished this thing by coming back to life. And when I came back to life, I gave you a chance to really live. Every day of your life could have meaning and purpose. Every day of your life has the ability to matter now. If that doesn't happen, if death is still in control, then what happens someday? If, if Jesus died and it, that was the end of the story, you're gonna be left holding the bag of your wrongdoings. And when you face death, your death will go on forever. Kind of separation, a disconnect from God. But if you've understood what Christ did for you at Easter, that he did the whole thing, I came and lived, I died, I was buried, and I came back to life, then your life goes on afterwards as well. Your resurrection happens, and the way you live today matters because it will follow you into the next life. And all of a sudden, the things that we do with each other, we go to work, there's purpose and meaning there. Even if you hate the job, there's an opportunity for you to connect with people and to be a light of God in that world. What you do with your family, the way that we live, the moral choices, all of that actually has meaning and purpose. And because of Easter, every other day that you live has purpose and meaning. Many of you have chosen to follow Jesus. And what that means for you is that this complete story, this greatest show that was ever put on display is something real for your life. And what God hopes that will happen is that it won't just be one day that you celebrate, but you'll understand that it's gonna follow you into all your other days, give you meaning, purpose, and hope. And that was his plan because he finally defeated death. I imagine there's others of you where your connection with God you just haven't been sure about. I'm not sure if I can trust you. I'm not sure what I think about this whole resurrection stuff. I'm just not sure what I think about the whole thing. And, and, and I would just ask you to consider that what you're saying is that I'm willing to step up to death with my own bag of wrongdoings and I'll take whatever happens to me. And maybe you think you haven't done anything wrong. I would challenge you to really consider, do you really believe that? See, there's a solution. A God who loves you chose to die, chose to take that wrongdoing that we had to the grave, but he left it there and he came back to life and he offers you a new chance at life an opportunity to have meaning and purpose in everything that you do. And maybe this morning, 
it's time for you to embrace that. For you to understand that Easter's not just a fun holiday. It is central to everything that the church does, believes, and practices. And without it, the rest of the stuff that we do is worthless. It's useless. It's futile. This is it. And so maybe for you it's time to step towards God. To say that kind of life, that kind of freedom that you intended to give mankind, that's what I want. And for the rest of you, God would want you to live that full life that he intended for you to have because he beat death and gave you the freedom to live that way. So live like it matters because it does. Let me pray with you real quick. God, we come before you thankful today. The message of Easter was first priority teaching for Paul. Man, Jesus came, he lived. He died, he died for our sins. He was buried, he took those sins to the grave, but he came back to life and so doing, he offers us life, a chance to live, a chance to do things that matter and have meaning. And God, I ask that you would help us to grab onto that and live our lives to the fullest because that's what you had in mind. That's what you wanted. God, I'm convinced that there are those here who've not made that decision yet. They haven't grabbed onto you. They're going on it on their own. And they're probably tired. God, I ask that you would whisper to their spirit that you love them, that you did, you did this whole plan, this sacrifice for them, and that it didn't end with Jesus in the grave. It ended with him coming to life again and giving us life. God, will we never forget the greatest show that's ever been put on. It continues to draw millions to you in awe and wonder around the world at the great love that you had. God, may we respond to it in a way that takes Easter into every other day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you defeated death and we are free. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Could you please stand and sing with us? <laughs>